Good morning, my name is Oli, and this morning we're talking about uh, boundaries, and we're talking about God, government, and us, and how we all fit together in that area. So here we go, let's give this a try. All right, so our purpose this morning is to determine the proper boundaries that we need to have so that we as Christians can live the way God has called us to do in America. Now, you know, I get it. You know, there are other people around the world and other people live for God in their country. That's great. We are Christians in America, and so we need to know how to live for God in America. So there's going to be some questions this morning that hopefully we're going to answer First one is, what in the world are rights? We got a lot of people talking about rights, especially middle schoolers. I teach middle school. Oh, I have rights. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Okay, what is the origin of human rights? Because we're not as much concerned about vegetables, right? Plants and animals have rights, right? But we're concerned about human rights this morning. What are, and are privileges the same as rights? Also, what is the purpose of government? We're going to get into that. And then how do we as Christians navigate this thing for proper governing? So first of all, the rights that we are very familiar with as humans in America are give me life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And um, in the original context, the forefathers of our country said that what is the pursuit of happiness and how can you tell what that is? The answer is property. You see someone's pursuit of property by the things that they acquire and the things that they build and do. So, yes, we do have the right to property in case anybody is confused. But our rights that we have as human beings are fundamental and inalienable, which is a fancy word, which means you can't separate it from the person. Okay, if you are an alien, you're away from your homeland. So if you're inalienable, you can't separate it from you. Why? Because they come from God. Our rights come from God, and since they come from God, we can look in chapter 20 of Exodus. I'm not going to ask you to dive into it this morning, but in chapter 20 of Exodus, it goes through the main concepts of what our rights are because God says, please don't do these things. Don't kill people. Life. Okay? Uh, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. These are all our rights as the citizens of what God has given us. All right, so if you're going to ask what a right is, we have to kind of talk about a little bit what rights are not. And what rights are not is if you have to have somebody else perform the task for you, it's not a right. Okay, so think about that. Can you do this task by yourself? If you can, most likely there is a right associated with it. Also, most of the rights that we have are associated with our own personal boundaries. Meaning, since I am in, uh, my boundary is within me, that which affects me, that is also associated with my right. Does my right to something involve forcing someone else to do something? Okay, there's been a lot of talk in the news recently about our rights to health care. If I'm going to force a doctor to perform a surgery on me, it's not a right. Does that make sense? 
Okay, because they have rights too. Does my right stop somebody else from doing something? Right? And if my right stops somebody else from doing something, uh, exercising one of their rights, is it a right? Right? So we have the right to do things. We don't necessarily have the right from doing things. Keep that in mind as well as we're talking about rights. Also, does my right take away somebody else's property, right? Because we've already discovered that thou shalt not steal is a part of that as well. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about privileges for a second. And it is a privilege to pray, and I forgot to do so, so let's do it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you that you have chosen to give us the opportunity to live in America. And it is a very unique country, as we are very unique people. (laughs) And so I ask that you would bless this morning, open our eyes and ears to what you are bringing to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a privilege. All right, the, the word privilege, you hear that also in the news a lot. People talk about privilege. You are a privileged person. You are not a privileged person. But in reality, privileges come from the medieval time periods when people received titles from the king. Those titles gave them certain privileges. Not everybody could get those. But it's a condition or an activity that's granted to certain people, right? And so in our case... In America, privileges are very conditional because we have rules and regulations that we need to follow in order to be able to exercise those privileges. Perfect example is you can't drive down the road any way you want. I paid taxes on both sides of the road, so I'm going to drive in either lane, right? That's uh, abuse of your privilege. Also, log trucks may disagree with you on that, right? Also, the same comes to access to public property. Do you have the privilege, you may have the privilege, if given the privilege, to go to someone else's house, right? But you do not have the right to go into someone else's house. Does this make sense, the differences between privileges and rights? Okay, so now... Though rights and privileges both have one thing in common, and that it both requires us to follow a set of rules. And the follow, when we follow rules the way we're supposed to follow rules, that's showing responsibility. Okay? And God has given us rights because we were created in his image, and he expects us to live our lives according to reflect his character and according to his laws and the way he is. This is why he gave us rights in the first place, right? When we read Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, when Jesus tells them, go into all the world and make disciples, okay, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things I have commanded you, and don't forget, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Can you think of activities that would require us to be able to do that? Okay, so if you go, that requires you to be able to walk around in public. Okay, if you're going to make disciples, that requires you to interact with people, so you have to have the right to free speech. Okay, these are the things that people in our country have been thinking about for a long time, and it makes sense why our laws are established that way. Okay, so we see that rights and responsibilities go hand in hand. Uh, This should make sense to us. If not, uh, think about it for a second, and I think you'll conclude that responsibilities and authority also 
have to go together. Could you imagine if you were given the responsibility of accomplishing a task, but never giving the, been given the authority to get it done? How could you do that? And, and Jeff talked about this last week when he was talking about boundaries in the workplace. This is the responsibility of the boss. If the boss gives you a job and gives you responsibility to take care of that job, he's got to give you the authority to get it done. Otherwise, you're just going to spin your wheels and be extremely frustrated. So rights and responsibilities go hand in hand. In Romans chapter 13, verse 4, if you'd like to read it for yourself, grab your book and follow along with me. I'll give you a few seconds to find it. Otherwise, it's here on the screen. And this is talking about governments and, and how responsibility lies in. And I took a chunk out of this section in Romans. Uh, for he is God's servant for your good. Talking about government. Okay? But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So what do governments do? Why are governments here? And, and what, what has God asked us to do as, a, as being a part of the government? First of all, governments protect. They protect who? Themselves? Yes, there's a certain amount of that. Governments protect themselves. Okay? And you can tell when your government is getting its priorities messed up when they focus on protecting themselves more than protecting the citizenry, right? Okay? I'm not here to judge governments today. Um, we all have the ability to judge. I'll let you judge for yourself. I have my opinions. You have yours. But governments also provide justice. Now, the justice is established ahead of time. Governments are there to make sure it gets carried out. That's the purpose. If we can't have a justice system that works, governments fall apart. Okay? Um, sorry, I got too many things. I'm pushing buttons here. All right. There we go. Governments also maintain peace. So they become the third party in an argument. You've seen it on uh, professional basketball games, professional football games. You've seen it in all over the, in the schoolyard. People get into a fight. And when they get into a fight, there's a third party who steps in to separate them. That is the function of government as well. Governments also are here to provide opportunity. Opportunity for what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If government's not doing its job, then the people, okay, can't um, be able to pursue happiness, meaning have a business and be able to carry out the things that God has called us to do. All right, so let's talk a little bit about liberty because liberty is not a word that you hear a lot except on advertisements for um, people that do taxes. Liberty, 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 right? Uh, that is not the true meaning of liberty. It's not, you know, it is a tax service, and I'm sure they do a great job, but liberty is a verb. Liberty is verb. The actual word that describes the, the state of being or the noun, of course, is freedom, and we get that. We understand that concept very well, but we might not realize that when we are acting out our freedom, that is actually liberty. And when it comes to living out our rights as citizens, we also see that we have responsibilities in that area as well. Okay, so let's read Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, to see how Jesus responded to his rights. Philippians 2, verse 6 says, Who, being in the very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Let's also turn to 1 Corinthians. Come on, baby. There we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 uh, through chapter 11, verse 1. This is how Jesus responded when dealing with his rights. So whenever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So how did Jesus respond? Jesus chose to respond to all of the situations he was in. He didn't just react. Okay, a response is far more responsible than a reaction, okay? Because a response requires us to use our minds ahead of time and to control our emotions. Now, was there time, times that Jesus was grossly offended? Yeah. And there were times when he chose words that grossly offended others. But every step of the way, Jesus used his mind, he controlled his emotions while using his liberty. Okay? As imitators of Christ, it is, it is our responsibility okay, with, to be responsible with our rights and how we interact with others. Now, I know you guys know that. This is nothing new. You haven't heard anything this morning necessarily that's so new that you're like, oh, wow, you know, my mind is blown. We know this. We just have to remind ourselves about it because we don't want to do it, right? If we could be totally honest, we don't necessarily want to do it. Okay, so now we know how we are going to respond, okay, to our rights just like Jesus did. I'm having a hard time getting it to fire. Here we go. I think my battery just died. Jim, can you get to, there you go, to the next one. Thank you. And I'll have you control it from here on out. Thanks. It was nice while it lasted. Okay, governments are definitely responsible to God. Okay, from the very beginning of time, God held leaders responsible for their actions. So let's read in, the, in Psalm verse, chapter 33, verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. Right? Let's see if you can get the next one to fire. There we go. And Proverbs 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any People. Another version of the Bible says it is a reproach. Sin is a reproach to the people. And I like that word. Reproach is, means a huge disappointment. Okay? When, we, when we blow it, our friends don't necessarily stop loving us, but may, they may be very disappointed with us. And um, we'd have to ask this question is, how is America's reputation? Okay, how is America's reputation? Because God holds America's leaders responsible. Thanks, Jim. 
Next, there we go. All right, God holds governments responsible, but at the same time, we know that he helps them because in Proverbs chapter 21, it is in the Lord's hand that the king's heart is a stream of water and he channels toward all who please him. And we've seen presidents of America in the past who have totally changed their mind concerning a subject matter because God has changed their mind. This is an amazing thing. Go for it. Okay, so uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verses 2 through 3, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Verse 3, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And then in Zephaniah, go for it. Uh, woe to this, and I love this. This is, talking, this is talking about Jerusalem, by the way. Okay, Zephaniah the prophet is prophesying against Jerusalem here, uh, but I think it's very well suitable to um, Washington, D.C. or Salem or Josephine County, okay? We're not all perfect here. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Okay? Her prophets are unprincipled. They are treacherous people. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no harm. No, he does no wrong, and morning by morning he dispenses his justice, and every new day he does not fail, yet the right, unrighteous know no shame. And so it is the same in Jerusalem as it is today, because the common denominator through all of history is people, and we as people need to do some work. Okay, uh, next slide please. Jeremiah chapter 23. Verses 1 through 4. Now, this one's getting more personal because this is talking about the leaders themselves. Anybody who's in any kind of a leadership position. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. Okay, now that one was specifically to uh, Israel, but it also can reflect on us today. Moving on further uh, to the next one, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. And God fulfilled this through Jesus Christ and the apostles, did he not? Right. Likewise, this happened in America as well. There was a shepherd who did not tend the flock, and the flock got irritated and had a rebellion. And God provided leaders to put in place to take care of their needs. So it's not a prophecy about America, but you can see the similarities in there as well. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit briefly about American government. I do teach uh, middle school and high school American government. I am by no means an expert. I wish I knew more. I'm trying to learn more all of the time, and the more I learn, the more I realize 
that we could use a little assistance uh, in everything that we are doing. But we know that America was established as some kind of a business venture. Okay, the Spanish were doing it in the 1500s, and so England wanted to get on, on this action, so they came over. What were, what were the, the people who came over to Jamestown looking for? Does anybody remember that from your way back machine? No, they weren't looking for freedom of religion, but nice try. They weren't interested in freedom of religion. Jamestown, they're looking for gold. Now, if you've ever been to the East Coast... Okay, until you get to the Appalachian Mountains, are you going to find any gold? Absolutely not. So that's what they did in Jamestown. They were privately owned. It was called a joint stock venture, which means several rich people put money into this thing, and they owned the stock, the stock being literally the, the stuff that you're trying to sell. So a joint stock venture. The citizen involvement in their, in their government was extremely limited because it was a company. So as a company, you had employees, and the employees did as they were told. That's kind of how that worked, right? Um, and also, but there was some self-governance that was needed because it takes a good solid five to six weeks to sail across the Atlantic Ocean. So you just can't, you can't as a business say, should we plant the corn now and then wait for the, the owner of the company to respond in three months? Yes, please do it now. Too late, right? So it required some self-governance as well, right? Okay, next slide, please. Some colonies in America were started as a religious experiment, so that was correct. And this, of course, is the pilgrims. Now, the pilgrims did not have permission to come across. King James was extremely irritated with them. He had just got done chasing them. They got on, they had two boats, as you recall. One of them was full of holes, so they had to pack everything on one of them. The Mayflower, they set out at the wrong time of the year because they actually started earlier in July. The Speedwell was full of holes, and it didn't speed so well, so they had to go back into port, load everything onto one ship so that they could take off. A great movie for you guys to watch, in case you haven't seen it yet, is Kirk Cameron's Monumental. Great video series. Um, it's not a series, actually. It's just a, a one DVD. Great, great uh, series that talks about the history of America. Uh, I would recommend that. I show all the kids that. So sorry, Nora, you're going to see that in the future yet again. But anyway, the pilgrims, they landed um, in, in Massachusetts by accident. They got into a huge old storm, blew them way off course, and they knew that they were outside of their contract because the contract was written for the Virginia area. And as you know, Massachusetts is way the heck further to the north. So before they stepped foot off the boat, they said, we have to have our own contract. So that's the Mayflower Compact. Uh, they had every intention of living as citizens of the king. They had every intention of doing what they needed to do, uh, but they were there uh, for a religious experiment. Now, you fast forward 10 years later, word gets out that they have this colony up there, so why not expand it? They created the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and literally 20,000 Puritans in the next 50 years moved from England to the Boston area to establish this new, 
new religious experiment. I say experiment because nobody had ever done it before like this. So they get there, and they're thinking, this is going to be great. Go ahead and do the next slide for me, please. They wanted to have, first of all, we have to mention the Puritans, because not everybody, of, not all of us study English history, right? But the Puritans were those people in the Anglican church who wanted to purify it. So the Anglican church is the Church of England. The head of that is the king, which is a little awkward, you know, because if you're the head of the church and you want to do something naughty, who's going to correct you, right? As a matter of fact, that's why King Henry VIII split with the Church of Rome was because he wanted a divorce and the Pope said, nope. And he said, okay, I'm splitting, right? But when you looked at the Anglican church and you looked at the Church of Rome, they looked identical. They had the same doctrine. They all spoke Latin. It was the same thing. But the Puritans, however, they wanted to purify the church because they had gotten their hands on a very important Bible version. Uh, it, was, it was, I just lost the name of it. Doggone it. It's from... I'm never going to remember. Okay, sorry, strike that. Um, they had their hands on a very good version of the Bible. It also was in English, which, by the way, for the, I'm sorry, it was not in English. It was in Swiss, okay? So they had a version of that that they were able to use. The commentaries on it were very good. It's called the Geneva Bible. I just remembered that, okay? King James did not like the Geneva Bible, and I'm sorry if I'm boring you with history, but he didn't like it because he wanted to be an absolute ruler, and the Bible said... No, you're responsible to God. Anyway, these guys that were in the Massachusetts Bay Colony wanted to create a heaven on earth there in Boston, and so their civil law included moral code of conduct based upon the Bible, which is great. Now, most of English law is based on the same way. They had 400 years, and the church was very active in helping the kings to form law based on the Bible. Next slide, please. Okay, the citizens here, and this is weird, and some of you are going to get upset, so if I hear growling, now is the time to do it. The citizens, that's you, were required to attend church. What? Yes, they documented who was there and who was not there. So we ask you to fill out the little form to let us know you're here. Not because we're going we're gonna to stick it to you if you don't. But they back then had to attend church. If they did not, they were not allowed to vote on civil matters. Now, did that create hardship? Yes, yes, it absolutely did. The Puritan church in Massachusetts was also subsidized by local taxes. This is how they paid for it. So they did not believe in a separation of church and state. And anytime you had a disagreement with the local authorities, aka the pastors in that area, oftentimes it forced people to move away, which actually was good for America because that's how we get Rhode Island and Connecticut and Vermont, et cetera, et cetera, right? Excommunication from the Puritan church was pretty normal. So um, that's kind of fun. All right, let's move on to the next one. End result, here's the point. The end result of having a mandatory morality was that people attended their church to be seen. Okay, as soon as he takes role, I'm out of here, right? But they did not do it as an obligation to God. And so it's, it's very safe to say the Puritan experiment was an abysmal failure because you can't force people to live for Jesus, okay? We called it the Spanish Inquisition, right? In the 1500s and 1600s, the Spanish were trying to force people to live for Jesus, 
And a lot of people died and got burned at the stake, and it was horrible. And then in the late 1650s, we had the war to end all religious wars, where millions of people died because you're a Protestant, you're a Catholic, I hate you, I hate you. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. What a mess. But Caesar Augustus, if they'd have paid attention to history, already told them that trying to force people to live a moral life by, by creating laws that require you to be accountable don't work. Because in the first century, he did the same thing with the Roman Empire. In the case of the Roman Empire, they, had, they were living this pretty nasty, gross, disgusting lifestyle, and Caesar Augustus said, stop it. But the reason why, go ahead and go to the next slide, the reason why it doesn't work is because, where was it? I thought I had, I had my point there. It's because the change has to come from the inside. Okay, the change has to come from the inside. Our moralities will only change when the Holy Spirit has given us the power to change. All right, so now, in America, why do we have some religious tolerance? And the answer is because people left because the Puritan activity didn't work for them. So they moved to places like Rhode Island and Maryland, which was set aside for Catholics, because Catholics were afraid that the Puritans wouldn't let them live there, and that was true. Okay, Maryland was set aside for that. Pennsylvania seemed to work really good for a lot of the Lutheran and some of the other um, um, Christian uh, religions. Okay, but anyway, sorry I stuttered there. Now we move on to the real reason why America is the way it is. And it's called the Great Awakening. Had nothing to do with the time of day when everybody gets up in the morning has everything to do with spirituality. Because of the failure of the Puritan church in Massachusetts, they could not force people to live a holy and righteous life. But when it started to happen from the inside out, people started to share the gospel, right? And it started with less than half a dozen pastors who were sick and tired of people coming to church, falling asleep in service, looking at their clock, waiting to get out so they can go to the Black Forest, Okay, and so he said, we're going to create life groups, you know, Bible studies, and that's exactly what he did. And so for a, for a 10-year period, um, guys like George Whitfield, um, there were probably about 2 to 3 million people in America at that I'm talking Europeans, in America at that time, 80 to 90% heard the gospel during that time period. That's great, okay? But the Great Awakening did more to bring Americans together as a people than people had thought, okay? We, we, at first, it, they thought, yes, it's bringing people together as Christians, but it really helped to separate the, we're not just Europeans. See, New York City, and I'm sorry if I'm hopping around like a, like a frog this morning, New York City was owned by the Dutch before the English took it over, so there was a lot of people from, that were Dutch that lived in New York City. How do you get those people to feel like they're Americans when they don't feel like it? And the answer is the Great Awakening. Next slide, please. Okay. Also at the same time period, I, we need to discuss the Enlightenment thinkings. These are the philosophes of France and England. From 1600 to about 1800, these guys were spending a lot of time talking about philosophy and the one I really want to focus on today is John Locke, who is an English philosopher 
early on in the game, early 1600s, he is thinking about this thing called empiricism. And empiricism is basically your search for truth. How do you get your search for truth? Others were saying it's just simply through thinking. Others, he's saying, no, it's through your experience. So if, if we are going to experience truth through our experience, then we have to allow other churches to be able to thrive so that we can pick and choose between what is best. So because of John Locke and because education became a huge uh, part of American life, People are starting in America were more educated than people in England because the Puritans wanted to make sure that their kids could read the Bible. And so they're hearing about these philosophes and John Locke starts putting uh, one piece on the other. Finally, in 1689, which is pretty early in the game, uh, he wanted limited government. Okay, and that was re-emphasized because there was another printing that came out of his two treatises on government, which is a pretty interesting read. Uh, it's a good bedtime story because it's written in Old English, so you're going to pass out before, before you're done reading it. Okay, But if you can power through it, it's very good. The two treatises on government basically says this, that the purpose of government is to provide for the people. Okay, and, and we're going to put all these pieces together, so hang in there. The purpose of government is to provide for the people, not the other way around. Because in the late 1600s, we got this rise of absolute monarchs like King, Phil or King Louis and, and all those crazy guys that wanted total control. All right, so let's go ahead and go to the next one. With all of that being said, we have this great awakening that's happening in America. We have people thinking that government needs to be somewhat limited. Also, at the same time, it's not a rabbit trail, it's just another trail to get us there. Americans were obsessed with English law. Why? Because they were colonies based on businesses. And so they wanted to understand their contract. And in this, in 16... Uh, I'm sorry, in 1765, a guy named William Blackstone, who is a lawyer, writes a book on the commentaries of the English law. Now, that doesn't sound very like a, that sounds like a snoozer, does it not? But when this guy starts writing about that, all of the Americans wanted to, at that point, understand their rights and privileges, and they wanted to understand their responsibilities, and they wanted to understand their authorities because... Absolute monarchyism was on the rise. Keep in mind, okay, hang on a second. Let's hop, let's hop back just a second. Okay, they had these charters which told them how to live as go in government, and those are legal contracts. So when King George, next slide now, thank you. When King George the Third, okay, also wanted to be an absolute monarch, started changing the rules of the game, people saw that their contracts were being violated and the end result is revolution. Now, what has this got to do with anything with boundaries? Right, let's go to the next slide. Right here, okay? The Constitution is a document that's all about boundaries and government. Okay, Now, the people who were voting, okay, so like I said, we had about 3 million people in America, about half a million people split and went to Canada. Okay, not everybody agreed that they wanted to be an American. 
Okay, so you have about two and a half million people left. About half of those are landowners. Okay, so we have about one and a half million people who are going to, half of those are men, so they're the ones who are going to vote. 750,000 people are going to vote. And the rights that we see in the first 10 amendments of the Constitution, otherwise known as the Bill of Rights, at that time it was assumed because they'd been talking about it and talking about it as a community for quite a while. But there were some very smart people in places like New York that said, we're not signing this contract until we have those written down. And I'm actually glad that that's the case. But can anybody remember any of the amendments of the Constitution? First, First Amendment is speech, religion, Okay, second, you know, everybody knows that one more than they know the first one, the right to a militia, and so on and so forth, right? So they, they, they said, these are all assumed, you know, but no, we had to write them around. And because this is why government in America and Christians in America who are working with government have boundaries. The takeaway is our Constitution is a document which is not here to tell leadership what it can do. It's here to tell leadership of our country what your limits are. Those are boundaries. Okay? That's the purpose. Next slide, please. The conclusion of the matter is that we have a government by, of the people. Okay? A government of the people means we get our leaders from our own people. By the people, meaning we the people are the ones who choose those who lead. And for the people, its purpose is to allow us, the citizenry, to be able to thrive the way God wants us to do. And we have a representative form of government. Now, let's go ahead and go to the next one. <clears throat> so God has delegated some of this authority to us, us as the people, right? Since God holds governments responsible for the actions of its people, God has limit, given limited authority to governments how should we respond to our government? This government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people, right? So the reminder is this next verse right here. Romans chapter, now, this, now instead of just giving you one chunk out of it, we're going to read the whole thing. So hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do wrong, but for those who, I'm sorry, for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Next slide. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? <laughs> You don't have to be afraid of the police if you never speed in your car. You don't have to be afraid of the police if you use your turn signals. You don't have to worry about it. You just don't. Uh, continue on, verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. 
But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but as a matter of conscience. Next slide. Continuing on, verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now you're meddling. This is why we pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If revenue, then pay your revenue. If respect, then pay respect. If honor, then honor. Let no doubt remain outside except the continuing in debt of love to one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Next slide. Yeah. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and what other other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. That's a lot of text. But see, the thing is, it goes all together to the one point in the end is that we follow our government because we love one another. And if we stop anywhere through that process, it's because we don't love each other. I'm going to do what I want to do, but I'm not going to pay my taxes, right? I don't believe in that. I don't believe in this part of the government, so I'm not going to support that, right? We do the whole thing because it's our way of showing love to what God has asked us to do. Now keep in mind, it is also this same verse that those absolute monarchs used to back them up when they said, I have the divine right of kings. There is no authority but of God. Therefore, kneel, peasant. Right? That's what they said. But they didn't finish and read the rest of it, which is why everything fell apart. And because they treated their, their subjects like slaves, God said, fine. You don't want to take care of the flocks? I'm going to give somebody else who does. Right? Divine right of kings. Okay, next one. Here we go. We are in Ephesians, it also sums it up for us. To submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So as a citizen in America, submitting to each other means I love and respect Jesus. That's why I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. Next one. So these are kind of the summaries. So yes, in conclusion, for those of you who need that cue to like, oh, whew, he's almost done. In conclusion, don't worry, there's only five of them. Each individual in our country has rights and responsibilities. We need to use our government to encourage these rights and not create a stumbling block for others. So we're struggling in America with this part right now. Okay, We're trying to create an America that's freedom from instead of an America that's freedom to. And that's why we're fighting. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, Do, not, do nothing out of self, selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Okay? So if we create laws, next slide please. If we create laws that only look out, if we look out for the interests of others, then guess what? We're going to create a selfless society because we're looking out for each other 
and that's going to look like Jesus. Right? Awesome. But if we create laws that look out only for our own interests, we create selfishness and a very sinful society. And that is a bummer. So the secret is we have to love God first, and we have to love others. Okay? Next slide. If you are, number two, uh, the public privileges that we have require us to be responsible. And we definitely need to maintain proper boundaries in order to have our society run the way it's supposed to. Okay? Boundaries, right? If nobody else is going to do the right thing, we still need to do the right thing because it might save our life. It very well might save our life. When society breaks down, who are the soldiers going to shoot? The looters, right? Are you a thief? Are you a looter? No. Well, then you don't need to worry about it, do you? Right? All right. So now keep in mind, um, we have to be maintain proper boundaries. What happens, and I'll pick on you, Joel, what happens if I try to do the things that you can do for you all the time? Am I living out my life as if I was you, if I'm doing the things that you do better? Did I lose you on that? It was a little circuitous. Should I do the things that you're supposed to do, that you're responsible for? Should I be doing them for you? Okay, no. Right, because it's your responsibility. You have the right to do it. That's what privacy is, your boundaries, right? If I'm doing it for you, I'm actually taking away your power and authority, right? So when government gets into the business of doing what other people should be doing for themselves, they're not helping people, are they? That's enablement, and it creates a problem. And we do, as a country, struggle with that right now. We feel sorry for people, so we try to help them, but we can't follow through all the way. We need to follow through all the way if we're going to be doing that. Anyway, so, yeah, if if nobody else is doing the right thing, you continue to do the right thing because it just might save your life. Next slide, please. Liberty must be restrained in order to maximize freedom, and I realize that may not make any sense. If liberty is the verb and the noun is freedom, if I restrain freedom, how am I going to maximize it? This is the, the mystery of Jesus Christ. He had the maximum liberty, did he not? Did he not have the ultimate authority? But did he do anything he wanted to do? No. And so likewise, that's the perfect model that we need to live. And it just so happens that it's either Plato or Socrates. I get those two guys messed up, forgive me. But Plato or Socrates, and it might even have been Aristotle because I get him mixed up in the thing. It's all Greek to me. But anyway, one of them said that too much liberty leads to anarchy or tyranny, right? And we see that when our society refuses to restrain ourselves, We get anarchy, and that is a bummer. It is a huge bummer. And God is not mocked. God's keeping track. He's keeping score. He does it in his own time frame. But you are not going to get away with it when you mess up. I'm not going to get away with it when I mess up. God will hold me accountable. What I sow, I will reap. So i got to control myself. Because if I don't control myself, somebody else is going to have to step up and control me. And that's what prisons are for. Right? Right. And that's why it's so important that our justice system be the way it is. Number four, 
Okay, we are a self-governing society. So who's responsible to and for our leaders? This guy. I am responsible because I voted. I might not have voted for a person, but I voted. I took part of it. So I'm responsible for my leaders, okay? If I am passive, guess what happens? My leaders will not represent me. And that's what we have. And who is it that God is holding accountable? The government. Who is the government in our country? We are. So we can't scoot out of this, okay? So don't be passive in your voting. Don't be passive. Find out the information that's coming up in the elections and study up on it enough to be able to make wise decisions, right? It, and, but there's a flip side to that coin. If we do not hold our, our leaders responsible, then they're going to control us. It's all, only a matter of time. And that, that has to be done. It has to be done. Number five, last one, okay? If we wish to change our society for the better, and we do, we must change ourselves. And Rosa Parks said it best. Each person must live their life as a model for others. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that through the years you've given us this truth that we can trust, that there are boundaries and that there is government and that you are asking us to hold ourselves accountable. That doesn't mean we stop loving each other. We, we defer to each other. We, um, we prefer each other. But you are asking us to hold each other accountable. You're asking us to stay uh, active in this thing called government and maintain proper boundaries. And so, Lord, as we learn more and more about this in your word, please give us the power and the strength to carry out your will. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.